This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everybody, this week's episode of the R&R Show is brought to you by Fire in the Hole. And hello, Ruel, how are you doing, sir? I am doing fine, my friend, and how are you? I'm doing okay. I've got this weird twinge in my wrist. I don't know why I'd be doing a carpal tunnel thing, but I think carpal tunnel oh. happens along here as opposed to here. Yeah, yeah. Is that your like main board gaming hand, perhaps? Uh, <laughs> For all my dice rolling and all my meeple moving, yeah. perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, very strange. It just started right before we started filming. Um, I am oh, fine. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Everything's okay. cool. Okay. Everything's uh, okay. copacetic here. But you asked, so I, 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 I held nothing okay. back. There's a little bit of okay, information good. for you. Yeah. Yeah, we need to, you know, take care of ourselves, you know, be be safe out there. And, you. Uh, you know, board gaming can be a little uh, treacherous at times. So um, just, just stay healthy, my friend. Can do. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, yes. you know, talking about healthy and what's going on in your table there. That is uh, the worst transition ever. <laughs> talking about healthy and what's on your table. I was just waiting, folks, for Ruel. I mean, he gave himself all kinds of openings there. But anyway, yes, Ruel, there is something on my table. It's literally the game called Fire in the Hole, which is our sponsor today. And it's a game that's on Kickstarter for just a few more days. And it has blown up. And I think there's one main reason. Let me show you. Uh, you know, here's the box, right? Here's the board. You'll notice I haven't extended the board yet because when you open the board, wee, you get a cool uh, pirate ship. Let's do that again. Yeah. In slow motion. Whee! Let's do that in overhead so people can see it yeah. from all the angles. Look at that. That is just fun. And that's not all because we keep on opening and the waves that come up on both sides as well. So this is a very silly party game. Um, and uh, Jen and I actually played it this morning before we started filming today, and we both agreed it is a hoot. The way it works is everybody has a hand of one, two, three, four cards. And on your turn, you will draw another card, and then from your hand, you will play a card. Um, you, there are some definite take-that-style cards where you can steal your the lovely felt cannonballs from your opponents. Uh, these things are... I mean, Jen, First thing Jen did when we set this up is she just started throwing this at me. Because they're little, basically, <laughs> balls of yarn um, that are held together by felt. They're very, very cool. Uh, so there's all kinds of different effects. Release the Kraken, bring out the black spot. But the most important cards are the ones that let you fire. So let's say this turn, I'm going to do a double-barreled fire. So that goes into the discard pile, and the draw pile is over here. And then what happens is whenever you play a card that lets you fire, you roll this die. Which means either you get to fire alone, or everybody gets to fire. And so, <laughs> what's going to happen is, in this case, let's say I roll, and it's a solo. So I'm going to be doing this on my own. That is a benefit to me, definitely. So, what one needs to do then, in the case of, this is a particularly interesting one, the double barrel fire is, I take two of my cannonballs. Normally, you're only shooting one. The rules say, I have to keep my arms, or my elbows, touching my sides at all times. Let me go to a, uh, a zoomed out view. And I'm just trying to uh, fire. And I have to fire them simultaneously because it's double barrel. Wah! 
hey, that was pretty good. Hey. Let's take a look at the damage done. Now, what players are racing to do is be the first player to have four cannonballs um, adjacent to each other that are not diagonal. Diagonals don't count, but any sort of adjacency does. And as soon as somebody does that, they win the game. But as you might imagine, often when I'm firing, everybody else is firing at the same time. So everybody's throwing their cannonballs <laughs> in all at once, and they're getting knocked around and all that. Oh, I forgot. I didn't complete my setup. There's another important element. Over here, I was just so excited about bringing the waves up, there's the mast. And of course, yes. the mast comes in. And this is very interesting. Positioning around this board changes things radically, as you can see, um, because... Uh, because this big mass here. So if I if I if I'm sitting at this side, it's going to be tough for me to shoot in the back. If somebody is at the back, you might think, oh no, they're they're screwed. But the nice thing is, this mast becomes kind of like a catch-all and makes it very very easy to <laughs> land in the back. So, but there aren't as many spaces in the back um, as there are in the front. Uh, you know, and so. Where you're sitting makes a huge difference, which is why one of the cards, actually it's probably, I think, just about the most common non-firing card is There She Blows. On a turn, you can arrange this however you want. If there's somebody who's doing Ooh. really good, arrange this so you're in a good firing position and they can't get to their balls and they have to shoot at other stuff. But there's other things, like the black cannonball, that if you um, land it in there, it destroys every one of your opponent's cannonballs that it's next to. So you just <laughs> drop it in. Or there's the black spot. Somebody just one more space to finish oh now you can't fill that space anymore because the black spot is there and probably it's it's it, it's it's a gimmick but it's a good gimmick the best one is yeah. there are different types of shots i mentioned the double shot there's one where you have to do it eyes closed there's one where you have to do it with your offhand <laughs> the coolest one is where you have to do it yes <laughs> and so everybody Arr. puts their pirate patches on everybody takes their shot and i gotta say this makes a difference. It really, really does. Oh, yeah. I have not really worn uh, pirate patches. And then for the rest of the game, you can just go on ahead and flip it up and keep on playing. Uh, it's a hoot. <laughs> Obviously, this is a silly, fun, fast-playing party game. The game's going to last 10 minutes at most. There's a little bit of strategy. Maybe you want to save some yep. cards for a particular moment. Um, you know, and so which ones I'm going to play. There are ones that let you dig through the deck or the discard pile to get certain cards. And so there's a surprising amount of simple party-level depth. And there is just no way people aren't going to be giggling from start to finish and you know, busting out. I mean, they say right here, this is the discard pile. So the game encourages that kind of silliness. And um, the production is absolutely stellar. Especially because, I have to admit, the reason I was interested in this game in the first place was not because of the cool pop-up nature, but because of the environmental impact. This, um, it, you know, it's uh, wool felt fair trade cotton balls, naturally dyed eye patches from 100% organic cotton and natural rubber, wooden dice, playing cards coated with a water-based varnish, and the 3D pop-up is also a water-based varnish. So this wow. game is is very decomposable, very sustainable, very environmentally friendly, probably just about the most environmentally friendly game I've ever seen. Even the box. You know, some people might say, oh, I need my linen finish on my cards. No, you don't, folks. Uh, these cards feel just fine. They shuffle just fine. And this game, which, as I said, has blown up on Kickstarter. You can hit that eye in the top right corner of the screen to go check out uh, the campaign. It's only running for a couple more days. But this shows a future. Putting aside just the silly fun, wee, woohoo type uh, <laughs> silly stuff, which is fun. It is genuinely a fun, silly little party game. But there's a lot more going on with Fire in the Hole. Phew. Yeah, 
that looks fantastic and a lot of fun. And I, I want to shout out my friend uh, David. He was uh, one of the people that worked on this. Oh, I, yeah. I forgot what capacity. He might have worked on the video for it or whatever, but he's one of my local uh, Twilight Imperium buddies. So I love the fact that he worked on the, uh, this game in some capacity. You know, I just thought of something. This would have been the perfect show to call this the R and R. Oh show. my gosh, why didn't we think of that? Of course. Welcome this week, everybody, to the R and R show. Oh, man. If I can remember, I'll do that at the end when we close down. There you go. Uh, but anyway, and I will not do the rest of the show with this eye patch on because that is very distracting. But anyway, folks. Yeah, it totally kills your uh, your depth perception. Oh, yeah, totally, right? totally. Like, and in a game where yeah. it's very important because you're actually trying to yep. shoot. So um, <laughs> I think the game is great. It's on Kickstarter for a few more days. It's been a huge monster success. Um, and we're going to be giving away one copy of this game to one lucky winner. But, well, how? How could they possibly win a copy? Well, folks, you're going to be watching the show and listening to the show, and one of us is going to say the secret word or the secret phrase. Um, and when you hear that, you're going to send an email to us at rotto.com, uh, email contest at rotto.com uh, with the name of the game that we're talking about at that particular moment. Yes, So indeed. the secret phrase today is, um, what was it again? I totally uh, I'm typing it up now it. because I didn't have my keyboard oh. out because I was too busy playing um, Fire in the Hole. The, the secret okay. word you have to be listening for, folks, while we're doing the show today is... Mass market. Mass One of market. us is going yes. to say the word mass market. And I'll be honest, I hope this is a game that makes it onto the mass market. This is a game that yeah. belongs in every toy store in the world. It's so much fun. Yeah. And especially because it, again, demonstrates a fundamental paradigm shift for what high-quality board games can be. So anyway, uh, the secret word is mass market for a completely different reason. If you want to know why the secret word is mass market, hit that eye up in the top right corner screen or go follow the show notes to watch the extended edition of this, where you get to watch our pre-show, where we do all kinds of hijinks with the audience, and we have a post-show where we do Q&A. But um, that's for a future day. You're here, and you want to um, know what our continuation of our top 100 games of all are, but... Before we get going, remember, folks, listen for either Ruel or myself to say mass market, and whatever game we're talking about at that point, send the name of that game to contest at rotto.com to enter to win Fire in the Hole. Yes. Phew! Okay. Right. Nice. Thank you. So, right. so, um, are you ready to go? Do you have your continuing list? I do. And, um, yeah, why don't we get this uh, party started here? Shall um, we? Shall just- we? Yeah. Okay. So we are doing our top 100 games of all time in the definitive R and R list. Um, we are all the <laughs> oh way up to gosh. number 60. I, I'm trying to work it in every, every yep, time yep, we, yep, we yep. say something today. So. <laughs> Understand. We're gonna start with number 60, folks. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We, we, we will see if we can do it. All right. Okay. Um, so what's so up? I will kick things off with number 60, and it is yes. do 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 do. Yes. the Deluxified Edition. Really. Yes. Genties. So, yes, Genties. And now I, I pronounce I always pronounce it Hentes because I I'm live not in Southern California. Yeah, I'm in Southern California, so I, I know a little Spanglish, and that would be the way I would say it. Hentes uh, means right. people. And I believe it also means people in in, the, in Latin. Uh, but this is a, a civilization game. And what's really cool about this, what I love about it, it's all about that timing mechanism, right? So you're taking actions to build your uh, um, civilization over, I think it's three ages. And as you can see in the video there, you have all kinds of monuments that you can build. But it's all about those action spaces. You're going to go take action spaces throughout the board there. Uh, some of them will help uh, increase uh, or um, upgrade your, your people. Uh, some will upgrade your buildings. But every 
every time you take an action, you're taking time to do that action. And you're going to place the time tokens, I, I think, yeah, they're like little um, uh, hourglasses mm -hmm. on your board. Mm -hmm. And as you fill those up, you're going to run out of time to do actions. So there's a lot of cool choices here. Do you take one of the actions that cost double time, that are going to cost two uh, sandglasses uh, uh, glasses there? Or are you going to take one that only takes one? And it's going to be a little weaker, but uh, you may have more time to do more actions. I think it's a wonderful game. And this, I think you're playing the in the video here, it's the, the original version. This is the version. original Spielworks version. You specifically yes. called out the Tasty Minstrel Games Deluxified Edition. Deluxified Edition. Folks, if you've never seen those Deluxified versions, oh my gosh. it. I mean, it was awesome. The wooden pieces, the, the meeples, I mean, they're huge. Like, it's just like, honestly, like... You can play. You can obviously play the Spielworks version just fine, but I think they really took it up a notch. And you got metal coins. You've got this really cool insert. And now, if you're looking at inserts, folks, they they partnered, I think, with Folded Space. And that Folded Space insert is so awesome because it cuts down on setup time. It cuts down on breakdown time, and you can get that game going because the game is about an hour and a half or so. Oh my gosh, it's a wonderful game. And if you know the designer. Stefan Risthouse has done one of the all-time greats in Arkwright, and this is mm -hmm. another his. I love this game. Um, I've played it in all various counts, and also has a solo version as well, which I've soloed, which is wonderful. All the, It takes out just some of the action spaces and stuff, but it's it, it's wonderful. That's why it's our number 60, Genties. I, I, it's a great game, make no mistake, but yes. wow, top 100 of all time. That's yeah. You make me want to go back and play it again, quite frankly. I remember thinking it was very, very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, I wanted to get some pictures of the uh, cooler, more uh, recent, uh, colorful version. I think this is yeah. what you're talking about, as opposed to the more dry and dusty version that I had. Yeah, this one has, uh, again, I see the pieces on top there, those uh, people. They, they're actually like large meeples in yeah. the deluxe. Oh, okay, edition, yeah, I just really can't quite cool. see it from this angle. But anyway, yeah, interesting call. You make me want yeah, to give it another shot. I think, yeah. Yeah, go back to it. It's, it's a, I, I feel like it's... A little overlooked uh, mm -hmm. out there, you know, because everyone talks about, you talk about Wrist House, you talk about Arkwright, but this one I felt like was overlooked. So I, I would highly recommend checking out, uh, checking it out again. Our number 60. I, I love it. Yeah. Gentis or cool. Entes or Entes. Whatever works for you, apparently, because I do not believe exactly. either version could be bothered to put a proper pronunciation in the rule book. Board game publishers, please put proper pronunciation guides in your rule books, please. Right? Yeah. If board and dice can do it, y'all can, anyone can do exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. It's not that yes. hard. But anyway, uh, let's move on uh, for number 60 to one I'm pretty sure I can pronounce correctly. And one of okay. my all-time favorites from my all-time favorite board game designer, Macau. Uh, yeah. Stefan Feld uh, yeah. really, really knocked it out of the park with this one. It is, um, is it is. Is this his heaviest? I think this and Trajan are probably his two biggest, richest, heaviest, most complex games. Um, although, you know, they're really kind of... You know, this one is just another... Well, it's not trading in the Mediterranean. It's, it's trading in the Far East. We are in the uh, city of Macau. We are Western traders who have come to um, do work, work to trade goods, to be able to send those goods back off to the far, far West. And um, the central thing, there's a couple of really interesting elements that drives this game. Um, one is there's a whole bunch of cards all the way around, you know, that are uh, randomly or semi-randomly put around the board as part of setup. Those are the timer for the game. We are constantly working our way through all of these superpower cards and taking turns grabbing them um, while also trying to you know make business contracts with the uh, various and sundry, in sundry industries there in Macau. So all that stuff 
is pretty straightforward. What really makes this game stand out, and I'm going to see if I can fast forward a bit, is this Windrose. This is one of the coolest action selection mechanisms the industry has ever seen. Because the uh, notion of it is that basically you grab a bunch of colored cubes. That means interacting with different things in the world. And um, the more cubes you can grab, which means the more actions you can get to do, and your cards want you to have different colored cubes to be able to combine to do different types of actions and whatnot. But to get those cubes, you basically make an investment. You say, okay, I'm going to do this thing that lets me grab four blue cubes. Because I can see I'm going to need a lot of blue cubes or a lot of purple cubes or whatever it might be. And then, let's see if I can find myself doing it. Eventually, I will do it in this video. And then I will take those cubes. And in this case, I will take two red cubes and put them two rounds in the future. It will take me two rounds for me to get those. And... Um, I need them right now. You need everything in this game yesterday. But every time you go and grab a bunch of cubes, if you just grab a single cube, you're going to get it very quickly. Two cubes is a better uh, return, but it's going to take a while. Four cubes or five cubes, you're not going to see those until halfway through the game. Which means you have to be making really in-depth, short-term, immediate plans, and long-term plans. Okay, I know in five rounds, I'm going to be able to get this huge influx. And I can see, probably in round three, I'm going to get that card that needs all those cubes that I'm going to get in round five. But maybe I should take them in round four and get them sooner because the I will need to use that card as soon as I can. But I know I'm going to need more cubes. Will I be able to um, you know, scratch the surface and make all this timing work out? This game, I've often talked about how I love games that really have the passage of time being a big uh, determiner of how the game works. And this game does it in such a unique way that feels so natural. A lot of times, my kind of games, really big, heavy, abstract, um, you know, Euro goods conversion, economic simulations, feel very disconnected from the real decisions you would make. But this makes sense. Oh, I'm going to open a really big contract? It's going to take whoever I open this contract with a long time to fulfill that contract. If I do a really quick contract, I can get you that thing tomorrow. And you're constantly having to juggle these things in one of Steffenfeld's greatest designs of all time, number 59, Macau. Yeah, this is one of the games I have not played by Mr. Mm. Felden. I've it's always been on my list. Um, I've seen it at a game night before, and I wasn't able to get into the game as ready uh, going. But I've heard nothing but good things about this. Oh, you owe yourself I, to it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it, it looks awesome. All right, great, great choice. So let's continue the list. Um, the oh shoot, did I just I pressed the wrong button and everything just blew up on me? Oh uh -oh. no! How exciting! No, don't do this to me right here. Okay, let's see if it works now. You can do it, Ruel. Uh, come on now. Number 58 is Yokohama. Mm. And it's funny that I, I just realized I put this game here, and they also have a Deluxified Edition, <laughs> which I've played, but I put the regular edition because and it doesn't matter which edition you have, folks. It's a wonderful game. This is a worker placement game. And you know what? The, the way I describe this game is Istanbul, but for gamers. You know, if you've played Ooh, the, I the like game that. Istanbul, right? It, it's, yeah. it's very much like Istanbul, where you've got your a worker. And then you have assistance. And what you're doing is it's uh, turn of the century Japan, I believe, uh, yep. in Yokohama. And you've got industries that you're building up and uh, you, you got foreign investments. And you're going to put your worker out there and take an action. But if your assistants are there already, you're going to take a more powerful action. But again, do you want your assistants spread out through other different um, uh, buildings there? Or do you want them to focus in on one? Because on your next turn, it's going to determine you know where your worker go. You're going to take those assistants back then go and use your worker again. Oh my gosh, this is a wonderful, wonderful game by, yeah. um, I always, I want to uh, mention the designer, Hasashi, Hasashi Hayashi. Hayashi. I believe. 
he yeah i i don't know if i i'm sorry if i butchered it but he's done some of my favorite games including this one uh trains he did metro x um he did uh, rolling america so many great games and uh yokohama wonderful wonderful game that's why it's our number 58 on the list yeah i really really love the gameplay in here and that's interesting you called it Istanbul. Yeah, because you send your workers out, which I'm desperately trying to find a moment in this video when I will actually do that thing, but I can't <laughs> seem to find one. And that becomes kind of like a road that you yourself will want to travel. You're, yes. It's so clever, so sharp. Uh, yeah. yeah, I highly recommend it to good, good call. Yeah. Good. Yeah, call. and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Istanbul, so um, this one just takes the Istanbul, almost like the that one little mechanism, and really uh, adds a bunch of more uh, uh, things there that you know gamers will appreciate. So again, number fifty-eight, Yokohama. Cool, cool, cool. All right then. All right. Let's move on to number fifty-seven. One of my favorite adventure games of all time. For a longest time, it was my number one adventure game, Legends oh. of Andor. Um, nice from uh, designer artist Michael Menzel and geez Louise this game is so good uh, you know and, and this game was so ahead of its time as well these days Ruel uh, we have an embarrassment of riches of cool narrative driven multi-chapter fantasy adventure games where you have the board is a gigantic map and we travel all over the board having all kinds of adventures fighting monsters and it's not like this hasn't existed for a long time in board game form but um, Legends of Andor does does a lot of things uh, very, very uniquely uh, from what had come before it and even what we still have today. This game is so much more Euro-y than Ameritrash-y. There is some dice rolling to fight monsters, but dice rolling is almost an afterthought because this game has the puzzly feel of a pandemic-style game in with all the wonderful fantasy trappings of traveling around the world, stopping big monsters, saving poor hapless villagers, and um, fighting off waves, onslaughts of bad guys who are coming to try to destroy destroy the castle. Um, I think probably the most interesting mechanism for me is the way that the monsters can hopscotch. Because if you look really closely at the board, every one of these little organic-shaped areas that we can move around from has little arrows. We ignore them as players. We can go do whatever we want. But after we've done all of our actions, spent all of the time we have for a given round, and it's the end of the day, or it's actually the next day, the monsters will all start moving forward following the little arrows. And they're all on different paths trying to get up to the castle and if enough of them make it to the castle we die and um so we're but the thing is in most games you're like oh we'll just just fight the monsters fight the monsters fight the monsters in this game that's the way you instantly lose because every time you successfully fight a monster um, and succeed, that pushes the timer forward. Kind of like a doom clock. The more we are successful at putting these monsters down, the faster they are going to come and the harder they are going to hit. So, often, very, very often in this game, especially when you're playing at the, hot, the, the later, tougher, higher level missions, you have to decide, you know what? We just have to let that bad guy go because that bad guy is, um, you know, it's just one hit to the uh, castle, but we can afford it because if we kill that bad guy now, we are going to push the timer, the the, t the speed mechanism up to the next level. It's going to cause a bad event. And yet that is probably going to be 10 times worse than taking a point of damage. So managing this um, board full of monsters. And the interesting thing is, um, trying to make surgical strikes because they're all following the same paths and all paths eventually kind of like funnel into central roads that they're going to follow. Once you get monsters on the same road, some of them move faster than others and they, no monster can occupy the same space. So what they start doing is hopscotching over each other. 
And so if you get like a group of them together in one move, they all of them can boom, just completely run you down. So if you're going to fight one, you got to pick, okay, if I take out that one right there, before it gets onto the main drag, these two will continue to move forward slowly. But if I let that one move forward, that's going to mean we're going to have started having a hopscotch situation. And next thing you know, the castle will take three hits and we die. So this is the one we have to kill. Of the five opportunities we had to fight, this is the one. And if we had fought any of those other ones, we didn't know it at the time. We would have gotten rewards. We would have gotten experience. Yay, we killed a monster. But we probably lost the game. And I love that, that this game pushes you and it's really challenging to make non-intuitive decisions to be able to win. A lot of people complain, I can never win this game. It's because you just keep fighting everything. You have to know when to fight and more importantly, when to let them go so that you can focus on the main features of the game. So the game comes with, uh, I think it's like either five or six chapters. Chapter three is the most important one because it has infinite replayability built in. Every time you play chapter three, there's like one of five different bosses and each player gets a randomly generated objective they have to do. So chapter three, I I have played dozens of times. I've played the whole chapter. Also, it's a two-side board. The other side of the board is when we go underground in this really elaborate cave system and new rules show up. It's brilliant. It's so popular, it has spawned a ton of expansions and th two different sequels. No, two sequels and a spin-off. This has been a monster hit for Publisher Cosmos in Germany. It never really quite made as much of an impact in the rest of the world, but still one of my favorites of all time uh, are number 57, Legends of Andor. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this. I, I was just thinking about this game last week because I uh, did a run-through of a uh, mm. live stream of uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood, mm. which is another one of his games, yes. a recent one, award-winning game. And he did something similar. Uh, not I'm thinking not the gameplay, but the way he taught the game, which I love. I'd love to see this more. Where basically you get one sheet of paper, get tells you the components, and you set things up, and then you go right into the gameplay within like one minute, not even one minute, 30 seconds. Right. You read, you put stuff on them, and you learn the game as you go. And I love that system. So uh, if you haven't played um, Adventures of uh, Robin Hood yet, folks, it uses a similar technique to teach it as Legends of Andor. Great choice. Great I, game. Uh, yeah, I love it. And that's a, yeah, I, I, I think that play, learn as you play tutorial system that Legends of Andor really years ago did this. That's yeah, one of the reasons yeah. it probably got the Kenner Spiel. It won the Kenner Spiel that year, I'm sure, because they yeah. realized, oh, this is a game that teaches people how to play, kind of like a video game. And no one had really done that before. And now it's yep, becoming yep, much way more ahead of its so time. ahead of its curve right. at the time. <clears throat> okay. All right. Great choice. Let's move on to our number 56. Let's do it. Um, number 56 is one of my all-time favorite two-player games. Mm. And it is... Why is it not showing up? Hello. It's coming. Come on, 56. There you go. Sun Tzu. A... Just an awesome, okay. awesome game. Yeah, this one has definitely flown under people's radars. It was it's by a designer uh, Al, Newman. Al Newman. Alan Newman. It used it was originally called Dynasties, and honestly, the Dynasties uh, version not as pretty as the Sun Tzu version. And what it is, you are warring generals. So this is a very in-your-face two-player game you're uh, fighting. It's an area uh, uh, control game. Mm -hmm. You're trying to uh, win the different areas of ancient China there. As you can see, you're putting out your little pieces. I think that that might be the uh, newer version. Okay. Or actually, yeah, yeah, that is. Um, actually, the version I have, they don't have those tokens. I actually have little miniatures, and the miniatures are Ooh. awesome in this thing. All right. Yeah, super cool. Like, I was surprised it wasn't a Fantasy Flight game, honestly. I thought it was Fantasy Flight, but... Oh, here we go. Um, you're playing cards, and it's you're, it's a totally meta type of game where you're just trying to outthink your opponent. 
but you know you have your cards and it, it, they're numerical values but each card has a different special ability so you can end up moving uh, some of your pieces to another location you can uh, kill off some of your enemies you can send a plague in there what kills everyone <laughs> and it's just all about area majority and it's a very very much like a tug of war you're going to be uh, the points go back and forth the entire game and whoever ends up after nine rounds uh, with the token on their side will win the game but there are a couple of ways to win during the game where you uh, automatically kill all your opponents but oh my gosh this game Rado, I play it strictly with one of my friends. This we have an ongoing game of Sun Tzu. My buddy Daryl, <laughs> shout out to my buddy Daryl. We we play this you know once every couple of months, and it's just an ongoing thing. And it's so fun to get in the meta. Like, oh, I know Daryl's going to this province because he did that last game. Yeah, yeah. I'm going here, and it's just that back and forth. Oh my goodness gracious! They also have events that'll come in and special warriors that come in as well. A highly underrated and overlooked game. For a two-player experience, I it's in my top five two-player games of all time. Wow. It is Sun Tzu. I admit, I mean, yeah. obviously this is not my kind of thing, so I've never heard of it, but yep. it sounds very cool. What are these triangular things on the outskirts of the boards? Oh, glad you asked. So these are actually the points that you score for each province. Oh. And they change during each age. There's three ages. Each age they're going to change. So some of them will be worth more points in the early part of the game. Others will be worth more points in the, the middle of the game and at the end. So you're going to be constantly shifting your armies around to try to get those big points. Now, that doesn't always work. Sometimes I've been able to outthink my opponent, uh, Daryl, by going <laughs> to the, all the smaller regions and take a bunch of smaller points and uh, win that way. But he got me back last time by doing the exact same strategy. Oh, it, it's it's so overlooked and it's absolutely wonderful. That's why it's our number 56, wow. Sun Tzu. It sounds very, very cool. I'm glad you brought it up. Um yeah, really neat. Yeah, I know it's not your type of jam. It's no, totally definitely not. <laughs> not for everyone. Yeah, it's very, very much a, a, a you know, uh, was it a, a, a knife fight in a phone booth type? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. just two players. But, I mean, yeah. in that first yeah. picture, so many units on the board, such a tiny yeah. little world to fight over. Yep. Yeah, it yeah. makes perfect that's sense. What it is. All right. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Well, um, let's uh, switch tactics with number 55. <laughs> no longer trying to destroy each other. Let's actually try to okay. save the world in 55, Cloud Age, uh, which is from uh, my second favorite designer of all time at this point. Alexander Pfister is so amazing. And this is one of my favorites of his game. And it's interesting. You mentioned this is one of his lesser known titles. Although it is a very big and very ambitious title, certainly, um, it is all about the end of the world as we know it um you know the worst has come to pass the uh you know the earth is a is a hellscape of you know just you know blasted away there's no greenery anywhere in the world everybody's huddled for safety in cities there are ravaging uh, marauders that are coming and attacking the cities and who are we well we're here to save the world by floating around in blimps of course it's all about blimp power in the future and um uh, what we do uh, over the course of this competitive game, because we're competing to do the best we can to help save the world, is we uh, travel the world, tra traveling every turn with our blimp, trying to um, reach cities. The thing about these cities are, if you look at the board, the every since we're up high in the sky looking down on everything, often we can't quite see what's on the ground because of all the clouds. Hence the name Cloud Age. And um, so we're trying to reach these cities and you know trying to fight off the marauders and try to get restocked. 
from the people who were there after we saved them. And that's when the game really gets interesting because, well, in addition to all the other stuff you can do, there's lots of upgrading your blimp and lots of different ways to increase its speed, its armaments, and all of that. But eventually, you will move, you will reach a city, and there are these cards that um, represent the available resources in the city that you've come to, but you can't see what's on the cards because the game comes with these very, very cool sleeves that you um, stick the card in that represents what's available in the city, and the sleeve has a picture of a cloud over it that completely obscures the majority of what's in the city. So you are trying to make decisions when you're still up in the sky. Right, we're about to land here. What do I think I'm going to get best? Am I going to get more water out of the city? Am I going to get more power out of this city? Um, you know, am I going to get more food out of the city? Whatever it is, uh, and I could kind of tell because I can. There's some unobstructed elements, and it's not until I actually land after I've made the decision for what I'm actually going to try to engage in trade to get that we pull the card out of the sleeve, the clouds part, and we can find out what was actually in the city. And the beautiful thing about this, though, even though this is a competitive game, um, it has kind of that whole Race for the Galaxy style follow the players, because when I go to a city, everybody gets to go to the city. And everybody is taking their best educated guess as to what they think is going to be in there. And um, you can run into real trouble. You want to get the best you can, but you don't want to get the absolute best thing, because there's opportunities to bust and whatnot, depending on what player count you play at. So you take your best educated guess, as does everybody else, and then everybody is waiting with bated breath until the card comes out. <gasps> oh my gosh! I had no idea there was all these power plants! I did. Why didn't I choose that? I got a little. I saw a lot of water, but it turns out that was all the water that was there. There was nothing else under the clouds. So there's this very, very cool semi-deduction, um, you know, guesstimation game going on uh, against the backdrop of a very, very cool post-apocalyptic trying to save the world. And ultimately, while we do fight marauders and we upgrade our things, the most important thing we do in this game is we literally try to heal the world. We are bringing green back to the world. That is our number one point-scoring opportunity we can do. And so Jen and I very much enjoy, by the end of the game, oh, look at all the what was just a a desolate, barren wasteland, there's green, there's life returning here. So it always feels very satisfying at the end of the game, whether you win or lose, um, to see how the world has changed as a result. And that leads to the other thing I love about this that actually puts this ranking so high for me personally. This is one of the games where Alexander Pfister has experimented with bringing narrative campaign storylines into a Euro-style game. Because you don't have to, you can just play the standalone game over and over and over again. It's got tons of replayability. But if you want, you can go through a multi chapter campaign where you meet people uh, you you do quests for them and then later on in future chapters they become cards that go into your deck there's deck building elements of this game on top of everything else and um, you see the world evolve and change because of the choices you made in the game this is the kind of stuff we traditionally only see in you know, big dice heavy Ameritrash style games but Alexander Pfister has been finding more and more ways to work it into Euros and this is one of my favorites he's done it is certainly not his most well known it's certainly not the last game of his that's going to be on this list. More is coming. But it is definitely one of my favorites for all those reasons. Number 55, Cloud Age. Yeah, uh, this one, I missed out on this when it was out. And I was trying to get a copy. And I don't know if it was like sold out or out of print or whatever. But mm. it was tough to track down a, co a copy uh, when it, after it came out. And um, I'm looking forward to playing it. One of these days, I, I will get it to the table. I, I love the fact that, uh, like you said, it has that narrative element to it. And, yes. Um, you know, you don't see that often in euros like that. So definitely a, a great call. And I, I know we're going to see plenty of Alexander Pfister on the rest of this list. So mm -hmm. good call. <laughs> yep.
Okay. So uh, the last game I talked about was Sun Tzu, a very, you know, Ameritrashy, you know, uh, area control game. I'm going to go a little different for okay. number our number 54 here, which I think you'll appreciate, my friend. Number 54 is The Voyages of Marco Polo. Oh, that's good stuff. Good yes. stuff. Yes. Yes. You are... One of the historical characters from that time, uh, explore, you start in Venice, you're going to go out and explore the world, you know, in that in that time when, you know, there wasn't just, you know, you could just hop on a plane and go to the next country. You know, <laughs> you're going to be on a boat and it is tough to travel. And that's one thing I learned when I first played this game. I want to shout out my friend Theo, the geeky gamer uh, guy. He taught me this game and it was insta love. And I didn't realize how tough it was to travel in this game. It is, and money is tight mm -hmm. early on and it's just... Oh, it's a dice placement game, folks. And what you're doing is collecting resources, trying to complete contracts, and you're eventually going to go to the other parts uh, of the world there, hopefully. Um, it's, oh gosh, for a dice placement game, this blew my mind away. I had never played anything like this. And it's really neat because the dice, as you take actions, you can still, those aren't totally blocked off to you. You can get those the actions The dice worker well. placement spots, you mean, yeah? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, but it's going to cost you a little more. You're going to have to, you know, put your, an extra die. I think it's an extra die, or you may have to uh, uh, spend a little bit of extra stuff. But as you can see there uh, in the run through, you've got your list of actions. You have some free actions that you can take advantage of to, you know, um, help uh, help your turns uh, go a little smoother. Gosh, I love this game. It's it's actually been at least a year since I played it, and as we're putting together our list, I was like, why haven't I played this game? I need to play more <laughs> often because it is wonderful. Uh, one of my all time favorites, and that's why it's our number four, fifty four. The Voyages of Marco Polo. This is a fantastic game. I absolutely love this one as well. You're right. It's so challenging, this game. You have to work so hard to be able to make these caravans go you know, to the Far East from where you start out in the West. And, um, and the most important thing to me is every player starts out with a unique playable character that gives them a special power. We've seen this yes. in lots of games, but never like Marco Polo. Because every oh, unique right. player power in this yeah. game is so insanely overpowered that in any other game yes. you'd say, oh, this is totally broken. This game is yep. broken. Look at what I can do here. Yep. Until you look around the table and everybody says, well, look at what I can do with mine. And look at what I can do with mine. It's basically yeah. um, like we're all superheroes in this world. And yeah. We have to leverage our powers to get far, farther ahead. It's uh, And I have seen some other games do this since. The idea of super, uh, you know, special powers that are so amazingly broken, but the reason it's balanced is because everybody has a broken power in yeah. a different way. Makes it so satisfying. A good, That's good right. choice. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, the powers. I remember the first time I played it, you know, we we're going over our each player's powers. Like, this is crazy. What yeah. I can just set my dice to whatever I want? That sounds insane. In a dice but then someone else game? has one that balances it. Yeah, it, it's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Voyage of the Marco Polo, folks. Play it if you haven't played it already. I agree. I agree. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good stuff. And the sequel is also very good. There was a Voyage of Marco Polo too, and you could kind of mix and match them a little bit, but they were both standalone games. Okay. If I recall correctly. Oops, I just hit the wrong thing. Sorry. Oh, um, no. Wow. Hey, R2, how are Hi. you doing? R2-D2, how are you? Makes a guest appearance. Okay, yeah, I, I hit the wrong button. Uh, well, I built R2-D2 Legos, there you go. There's R2 a... <laughs> wanted to interrupt this uh, this uh, show <laughs> to uh, point out, folks, if you didn't know, Ruel Gaviola does more than just appear once a week on my channel to talk about games. Ruel's got his own channel. You can hit that eye in the top right corner of the screen or follow the links down in the show notes. Uh, he does all kinds of things. He plays tons of games. I mean, there are on his YouTube channel hundreds of hours of him and his wife and his daughter and his friends and family all playing lots of really, really great games. But recently, he and his wife Michelle have been on this epic journey to put together, what is this, this 10,000-piece R2-D2? 
it is it's well it's a slightly less than it's about 2300 pieces that's a lot RGD2, of pieces but yeah it's a lot of pieces it's the first um lego set that we've ever owned as adults and honestly we we're blown away we're like this is the funnest thing in the world it's so cool so yeah it's uh, r2 making a little uh, guest appearance <laughs> yeah on a little the, guest appearance on the as an R&R for the, R show for the, for the yeah. royal gaviola channel definitely folks yeah. check it out royal does <laughs> So much great stuff. But okay, okay anyway, thank you. enough of that. Back to the list. Yeah. Um, I love your number 54. One of my favorite Euros of all time, definitely. Um, but I don't love it as much as number 53, Tiny Towns. Oh my gosh, Ruel. I know you've played this, right? Love, love this love game. Love this so glad it's on the list. So yes. much. And you'll... Everything we've been talking about here today, for the most part, are really kind of much more Euro-y games, or much more crunchy games, or much more um, esoteric games that are really kind of made for hardcore gamer geeks like you and me. Tiny Towns is such a wonderful gateway game. I totally think publisher AEG should get this thing into the mass market because it just plays so wonderfully, so smoothly, so fast. It is basically a... It's kind of a Tetris polyomino tile-laying style game without the tiles. Because what we're doing is we have a bunch of cubes and we are laying them out on a super-duper tiny little town zone. A 4x4 grid. And um, every round, we get to put some cubes out that will, um, ultimately, if we get them in the right combination with the right colors, allow us to build a building. And these buildings give us all kinds of cool superpowers. And every time you play, you're going to shuffle up the deck of buildings and reveal a bunch. So that every time you play, you're going to get a bunch of different cool buildings that have different shapes, different colors, and different powers that you can leverage. And the tricky thing of this is, as you start putting all these cubes out, trying to get them desperately into the shape they need to be able to build the brewery or the... You the town hall or whatever it might be, they're taking up more and more and more space because there can only be one cube for per um, space on your little grid. But the beautiful thing, and so you are always in danger of running out of room. And if you can't build anymore, the game is over. But what you can do is once you have actually gotten all the cubes in the right position to build that building, you remove them from the board and put the building in. And suddenly you've got room to breathe again. And so this game has this really interesting, um, you know, tension building or I'm running out I'm gonna just please get this one thing I desperately oh I got it yes I can build this and then everything clears out right now what's the next building I'm doing now if you're playing really smart every one of your cube you're keeping your options open so oh this cube could go for that building or that building or that building depending on how things evolve because the thing I didn't mention is how do you get the cubes on the board there's a couple of different modes the game can play in um, one of them is a bingo style thing where there's a deck of cards and a lot of the cubes are just chosen randomly and everybody has to take them again kind of bingo-y but the core way to play the game which is still my favorite way to play the game is on my turn I pick one type of cube whether it's glass or stone or wood and everybody has to build that type and so at least when I play this, I'm watching everybody else like a hawk. Okay, I know. I can see what Jen's trying to build there. I think she's going to need some stone. So she's probably going to call stone on her turn. So that means on my turn, on my next turn, if that stone is coming in, I should put this glass over here, assuming Jen is going to place that stone, so that um, I'm building towards my ultimate goal. And I absolutely love that. And of course, there's the flip side to it too, is, oh, Jen desperately needs glass. She desperately needs it. I could have done glass, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to build something that I know is no good for her, which she now has to waste space on her map and hopefully be able to find room for the glass on her turn. So, um, it's brilliant. So simple. It's 
it can be a little bit daunting to teach. To t- I mean, I say it's a gateway. Maybe it's more like a gateway plus because the first time you're teaching, oh, look, here's all these buildings and they all do different things. The core idea is simple, but to be fair, the game does come, like Legends of Andor before it, with specific rules to say, hey, is this your first way to play? Play with these buildings because they're nice and simple. They're clean. They're easy to understand. And you could probably get this up and running with anybody without too much trouble. I love Love, love Tiny Town so much. Uh, what's shown here is with one of the expansions. Several expansions have come out for it that introduce more interesting stuff. I always have mixed feelings about it because just the core game is so perfect. Like we were talking about earlier, Shot and Totten. Or we were actually, I'm sorry, we were talking about Shot and Totten not in this show, but in the pre-show. Folks, the pre-show, we talked a lot about right. Shot and Totten. And the earlier, and one of the things I said is that game is just about perfection. Tiny Towns is in that same realm. And I absolutely love it. Number 53, Tiny Towns. Uh, yeah, I I cannot disagree with anything you said. It's an absolute awesome, absolutely awesome game. Uh, Michelle and I love it. I actually, everyone I've uh, taught it to and played it with, we all love it. it. It's just fantastic from beginning to finish. Great, great choice. I, I like it because it's got that, you know, again, the puzzly element and sort of like Tetris uh, style gameplay that me and myself and Michelle really enjoy. Um, so give me those type of puzzles any time of the week and I will gladly play them. So oh, yeah. great call. And, you know, also with Tiny Towns, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, it's very, uh, it's a bingo-y style game. So you can play this easily online or, you know, yes. uh, with friends, you know, and just one player just calls it out. And it, you can play it solo as well. I've played it solo a few times and I've always enjoyed it. A, a uh, great call. Just great yes. in every way. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of puzzles, our number 52 yes, game sir. is a puzzly type of game that I absolutely adore called. Mm-hmm. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Come on now. Mm-hmm. Sagrada. Sagrada. Mm-hmm. Sagrada. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, the puzzle in this game is trying to figure out where to place your dice. Um, it's a dice placement game, but it's more of a um, uh, a pattern recognition game, yeah. right? So what you're doing is uh, from uh, one of my favorite designers, uh, Daryl Andrews, along with uh, Adrian Adamescu, uh, you are building stained glass windows. Um, the Sagrada, I believe it's in Spain. Uh, is that why? I don't uh, the know. The Sagrada Familia, garden. yes. It's a very, very famous, um, incomplete, uh, massive cathedral from uh, yeah. a famous uh, uh, architect, uh, Gaudi. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, Jen and I have yeah. been there. We've seen it in real life. And um, oh. as I understand it, the genesis of this game was, I don't remember if it was Daryl or Adam, they went there and they were so inspired by it. They said, well, we got to make a game out of this. Yeah, and boy, what a game they've made, right? This is brilliant. Um, it's a dice drafting game, so you're going to uh, put out dice uh, plus one over the number of players, and you're going to draft in snake order. So you go uh, left and then ba- left to right, then right to left, and you have to place those dice on your little stained glass uh, window there. As you can see, there's different colors, there are different numbers, and what really what's really cool about this game, you have different scoring goals. You have the mm-hmm. uh, three up there, um, and you're going to have a secret one, a private one, where you're going to score a, a particular color. And um, along the way, they're going to have tools to help you out, just in case you get a little stuck there, which I always get stuck on this game. <laughs> so I want those t- I want those tools to help me get out of the bind that I put myself in. 
It's a played only over 10 rounds. It goes by so much quicker than you think. And yeah. you really fill it up here. And gosh darn it, this is one of my favorite puzzle type games. I love how clever they've used these dice. And um, that's why it's our number 52, Sagrada. An excellent, excellent choice. Man, this game... And I, and what is on screen right now does not do it justice. I'm, I filmed a prototype of it when it was on Kickstarter originally. The final version of the game has such wonderful, beautiful components. And really functional ones, too. Um, yeah. And yeah, both Jen and I love it. You know, It's a really fun and tension-filled puzzle. Although... For me, what really pushes it over the top, I believe it's had two expansions come out now. And when you yes. start working those in, oh my gosh, it explodes yeah. in depth. Yes. What was it? Passion yes. and Life, I think. Passion and Life. Yes. yes. Yeah. They're both fantastic. I mean, the, just the core game is great. And it's a really wonderful gateway-style game. And then you add either of those expansions, and it starts getting deep. Um, yeah, like uh, life. I think you get those orange dice, which are like you know uh, help you build the different things. And also, just want to uh, throw this out there: they've announced there's going to be a legacy version of this game what? coming out later this oh, year. Oh, that's yes. right. Yes, I did just hear about this not Le- too long ago. Right? Yeah. Oh yes. yes. I am like thrilled about. It. I have no idea how they're going to pull that off, but I'm looking forward to it. Daryl Andrews, he he always rocks it. So, uh, number fifty-two, Sagrada. Fifty-two, excellent, excellent, excellent. Fifty-two. Okay, well, we are almost done, folks. Just one more, and this, I'll be honest, is a really odd duck for me to include on a list like this. But there's no denying just how great our number fifty-one is: Space Hulk, Death Angel, the card game. Now, I would not be I would be shocked, Ruel, if you've actually played this. I I've heard about it. I've never played it. Isn't it like really hard to get? Isn't it is it like all but impossible to get. I seriously yeah. considered not putting it on the list, quite frankly, because I kind of mm. felt like, oh well, that's just being a jerk because uh, people can't actually um, play the thing. But um, yeah, there, there's no denying it. This is basically uh, what do you call it? Um, James Cameron's Aliens, the card game. It's about a bunch of space oh. marines. It is a cooperative game. Uh, each of us, uh, if we're playing together, have our own crew of three. And every one of these space marines has unique powers, unique weapons, unique abilities, whether they're the healer of the group and all that. And the interesting thing is, the marines, they are our troops that are actually trying to fight off wave after wave after wave of bad guy. Oddly, they are also the board that we play on. Because as part of setup, we take all our troops, we lay them in a column on the board, um, all standing next to each other, and um, this becomes a uh, like it's, it's a column of marines that all the bad guys or the aliens are going to spawn and zip around. They're kind of in orbit around us, and every round more and more and more aliens will show up. They come via blip cards, which are exactly what you think. You know, you know, um, it's game over, man. You know, they're, they're coming through the walls and you know all that kind of stuff. I mean, you will not be able to help yourself, but constantly quote Ripley and Hudson and Bishop and everybody else because this game is so rough and mean. This is widely regarded as one of the most cruel, punishing co-op games of all time. And it should be. Um, while the time is over, if you win, you will have probably won with only one or two uh, Marines still left standing and everybody else will have been wiped out. Um, and what we're doing is we're going through a series of rooms. Each room has a unique um, setup that uh, tells you, oh, this room has you know uh, crates that they might be hiding or, or um, you know heating ducts or various and sundry things. And 
and uh, they're just going to keep coming out of all these different locations. Sorry, this is actually one of the first videos I ever filmed with my iPhone, and oh my gosh, it's so terrible looking now compared to what I do. I have to get all so close to even see them. But, you know, so setting up the room tells you what the different spawn points are, where they are on the overall um, column, and, uh, you know, once you get the room set up, then you start making decisions. And a lot of your decisions are all about repositioning. Saying, okay, there might be bad guys coming out of this heating duct, which is unfortunately next to our guy with the submachine gun who really can't fight them off. We need to get the flamethrower guy over there. So, um, I'm going to try and maneuver, get over here. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to start building up defense. You know, you can build up resources. You can spend to do actions. Um, you can rest. You can support each other if you're next to them. So, it's all about making smart, informed decisions because every round we've got a handful of cards we each get to play a card for each one of our soldiers that will have them do things after we've programmed all we want to do then the aliens start showing up and not only do they show up but they just stream and they're constantly moving all around us constantly in motion hopefully we were able to predict where they were going to go but if we can't we just have to uh make do let's see I need, I need to get to the action parts. Um, right, okay, so the aliens are scary. They tend to clump up in big groups, and then they tend to just move, and they're constantly um, you know, trying to stay one step ahead of us. But if we can get lined up and take a shot, we roll dice. And this is why you wouldn't think I'd like this game, because this game is all about getting into position and then rolling dice, and these dice are cruel. There are very few successes. Most of the time, you will miss. Most of the times, the aliens will kill your uh, or kill your Marines. But you just keep fighting this war of attrition as they just beat you down, and you try to come up with you know clever um, solutions to problems based on where you think they're going to be, and then they surprise you go in a different direction, and. It's, it's absolutely amazing. This is one of the only games that has gotten me so wrapped up in the drama that when I roll the dice and some impossible thing happens that I have literally jumped up from the table and fist, you know, you know, uh, fist pumped because ah! oh, nice. because you're just from start to finish just curled up in a ball so terrified because it's just so harsh and unrelenting you know most of these marines are going to die it is just about trying to make the smart decisions about okay who's going to live to fight another round I mean here we are halfway through and I've already lost half my troops which and that the problem is as all our troops are gone there's fewer cards so that means these orbiting aliens they have fewer places to orbit they're just going to hit that much faster and harder and then on top of all of that I mean, there's everything about this game is so smart, but my favorite thing about it is every round there's going to be an event. And some of these events, um, when it's when the whoever is the lead player of this particular round, you draw the event, and a lot of events, oh, read it and do what it says. But some of the events say, read it, don't tell anybody what it says, make a decision between A or B. Can't talk to anybody. You have to decide this thing yourself. And these are the most pressing um, in incredibly tension-filled trials of command you could ever imagine in the game. Okay, I have to make a decision. I can't collaborate with anyone else. It's going to kill somebody. Am I going to let this person die or this person die? And um, and then, after I make the decision, it happens, then I have to explain myself. Why did you choose that? Because uh, you know, And it's, it's just so brilliant. Again, um, incredibly rich, evocative, even though it is nothing but a deck of cards. There's a deck of cards and a die that you roll to do stuff. And yet, it just conjures up such amazing... I mean, I love James Cameron's Aliens. I think most people of our age do. Certainly everybody in the yep. video game industry I ever worked with certainly did. And uh, just a bunch of cards and a die do so much to transport you into this terrifying circumstance. And on top of everything else, it's a phenomenal solo game. And I say that, I know that, because Jen won't play it with me. 
She hates playing it because she is so freaked out by it. It just gets so under her skin. So mostly I have to play it solo, and I love it to pieces. Uh, Number 51, Space Hulk Death Angel, the card game. Yeah, just listening to your description, the fact that you compared it to (laughs) Aliens, it it immediately rocketed up my list of games I must track down. It's going to be one of my holy grails now. Um, Why why is it not being printed? Was there like licensing issues? Do you know? Well, yeah, it is. It's it's tied into, um, what's it called? Um, Warhammer 40K. Oh, okay. The Warhammer 40K universe. So my assumption is Fantasy Flight lost the license a long time ago. And rather than say, hey, well, let's just repurpose this into one of our own, you know, into the Twilight Imperium universe. They could have done that, but they just kind of let it go. And it's too bad. Uh, Uh, It's from designer Cora Kanichia. Um, you know, yep. one yep. of the most highly respected designers to ever work at Fantasy Flight Games. And yep. um, as far as I'm concerned, it is his masterpiece. It is so good. And I, I, like I said, awesome. I feel bad, you know, waxing rhapsodic and singing his phrases because it's all but impossible to get. But yeah, uh, it's James Cameron's Aliens, the card game. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's phenomenal. Wow. I need to play it. All, all right. right. That'll wrap it up then for there this There you week. go. Yes. Folks, did you hear one of us say the magic words, mass market? Mm -hmm, If mm -hmm. you did, send in the name of the game that we're talking about at that time to contest.rotom.com and you'll be entered to win um, your very own copy of Fire in the Hole, thanks to our sponsors. Yes, oh my gosh, I guess it's so much fun! It's just been sitting here the whole time and when Ruel was talking, it was all I could do to just stop myself from just going, ooh! And, you know, and, and playing with it and and stuff like that. Such a cool game. And then, when you're done, just take it all out pour the pieces out and then say goodnight gracie Ooh. Oh, oh. hold it oh, i love hold that bye bye even the like, rule book the rule book actually um oh, you know, fits into these little slots that's cool it's so oh it's so God. clever everything about this game yeah. is so sharp and one lucky winner can get their own hello peekaboo um <laughs> yep all right well all right we did it that is it we have done it we are yeah. we're at the halfway mark we have done 50 of our oh, all-time top 100. Wow. Yes. And so far, the list has been tremendous. There I think so. so many yeah. fantastic games. Yeah. Well, I mean, a few of them that I haven't played, a few of them that you haven't played, but uh, all of them are excellent. Yes. And you've got the patch. You know what you remind me of? You remind What's... me of uh, The Walking Dead, uh, The Governor. Oh. The Governor. <laughs> <laughs> I have no response to that. That was one of the greatest TV villains of all time. And I guess yeah, that's who you, you think should, of when you should think be of proud of that. Cool. Yeah. All right. Oh, I mean, that, that's the perfect thing to wear during the R&R show. Oh, the R&R show. Yep. I, okay, folks, I think, yes, that's it. Uh, thank you for watching. We'll be back next week. We'll be in number uh, 50 to 41. We'll continue counting this thing down all the way to the end, and hopefully you can join us. And I want to say thank you, Ruel, for showing up. Thank you for uh, everybody who watched and for everybody who watches in the pre and post show. And uh, thanks once again, finally, to our sponsors who are literally changing the game for the board game industry. Fire in the hole, folks. Go check it out on Kickstarter right now. That's the R&R show, everybody. Thanks for watching. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, Bye-bye.